sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Through two games, the Dodgers and Rays are all tied up in the Fall Classic. Of course, we have Thursday night football on deck, a host of college football to get to as well. This is Fantasy Sports Today on SportsGrid. I'm Craig Mish along with Joe Pizapia. We got you for the next two hours. We'll cover everything here on the show, give you some previews of some potential plays this weekend. Of course, talk about injuries as well, and no doubt follow the World Series as it treks. But Joe, for the first time, it feels like in months, there's a day off in Major League Baseball. No games today. <laughs> they gave everybody a day off. Feels like that yeah. hasn't happened since July. Uh, it might not have happened since July. It's very possible, at least for some teams too, especially. Uh, but huge win here for the Tampa Rays, no doubt about this. Uh, Brandon Lau finally got uh, right after just being terrible so far in the postseason. And it's funny, at one point we were asking ourselves, is Brandon Lau the best fantasy second baseman right now in baseball? And then, of course, September kind of slumped and then into the postseason. But two bombs last night and a huge win for the Rays, who now send the series back to Arlington and they can just win one more game here. Then they can play a game six in Arlington, too, and get the series back there. Yeah, and, and I think at this point, it's a, it's an even series, and anything goes. Now a best of five, and it, it should be exciting when they pick it back up tomorrow night. All right, let's go through our headlines here for this Thursday edition of the show. As we mentioned, the Rays and Dodgers are all tied up at one as they move toward game three on Friday night. So we'll have a preview of that game tomorrow. Stan Van Gundy, next head coach of the New Orleans Pelicans. So he's getting another opportunity. Stops in Miami, Detroit. Happy to see uh, Stan Van Gundy get a, a new spot. He's a great guy, great coach. And we'll see what he can do with New Orleans. Uh, Seahawks, other teams looking now at Antonio Brown, who is going to be coming off his suspension. But again, there's some other issues potentially involved with him getting signed, so we'll just kind of have to play it by ear here and see what happens with him. Odell Beckham Jr. is now banned from LSU, his facilities, for two years for doing that whole money thing a couple of years ago when LSU won the title. Raiders' entire offensive line not with them for the second straight day. They had a potential COVID-positive test and are doing contract tra contact tracing, so we'll see what that looks like for the Raiders this weekend. And then Yannick Ngakwe traded again by the Vikings, which – May not look like a lot in terms of a huge move for Baltimore, but I think more or less does, Joe, signal a little bit what the Vikings may be thinking going forward. That's kind of the message that I saw with that deal as it was announced this morning. Yeah, I would agree with that statement. Uh, good move here for Baltimore, absolutely. And I know Baltimore is kind of kicking the tires on Des Bryant, too, right now. So uh, I think they address and understand that they've got some deficits right now, even though the record's good in Baltimore. Uh, that is definitely something that I think you look at and you go, okay, you know, we're, we're record is good. We're doing okay in the standings, but we really should be playing better football. And Ngakwe is a huge piece to add, no doubt about that. And I think Minnesota may be in that point where we're they're being realistic about the rest of the season here. We talked about them having the bye this week. Let's see what happens when they come out of that bye. But look, right now, clearly nobody made a difference on that defense. So why not start to make moves? Why not start to acquire and look for next year? It's probably the smartest football move to make. And I thought we would get through a 2020 NFL season without Antonio Brown. I really thought... We were pretty much at that place. They were going to say, ah, he's going to miss eight games, going to be suspended. I didn't think anybody would really go there. Well, it seems like teams are going there, and it seems like we have to talk about this again. And I will say this. Uh, I do believe this. My friend Jake Seeley said this yesterday on Twitter, and I believe wholeheartedly with this. This is the time. If you should own him still in Dynasty, if you have any shares of him in a keeper league, the 
peak value is right now. This is your last chance to get out from under it. You kept it just hoping, well, maybe he does come back and he signs with somebody. This is it. No matter what happens on the field, I don't think the value will be any higher than it is right now. This is your absolute final chance to get out from Antonio Brown ownership because even if he does sign with a team, what happens next? And I think we all know what happens next is rarely good. So that's my take, and I know you are probably – even more sick of the Antonio Brown stuff than I am. So uh, I will give you the floor well, on AB and what your thoughts are. It's not being sick of it. Last year, I was very sick of it. And we had that mm-hmm. battle, you and I, back and forth all season long on that. I was tired of mm-hmm. talking about him last year. Uh, but this year, look, I, I hope he's able to get himself back. Apparently, even if he's reinstated, he, feel, he still could face another two-game suspension or something like that. <laughs> but he is someone interesting to talk about. He is still a, a quality receiver. He's been out of the limelight, at least, and seems to be staying out of trouble for the most part. But I, I certainly agree with that. If anybody would be willing to take him in fantasy, I would be willing to give him away for sure. Uh, no doubt about that. Um, you mentioned Brandon Lau, and, and that's an interesting place to go here because we on, on FanDuel, it was interesting that they didn't have his name in terms of no. the World Series MVP. But I would tell you right now, Joe, based on his performance in the first two games, hitting a home run in game one, it wasn't really meaningful. And then game two, I, I would say that he's probably the favorite to win the, the World Series MVP right now, right? Like, who else would it's it hard be? hard to argue. I mean, he's had two oppo yeah. shots yesterday, too, which is really good for him. You have to realize, coming into yesterday's game, he had 19 strikeouts in the postseason and a buck oh seven batting average. How's that yeah. suit you? So I think that's pretty much why FanDuel was like, eh, maybe we'll not put him on the odds there. But if you look back at the track record of what the Rays did this year, Brandon Lau was a huge part in this offense. Before Rosa Reina right. became a thing, it was Brandon Lau. He was the straw that was stirring that drink. And like all streaks, and this was the danger, we talked about what happens when the streak ends and, of course, it ended pretty abruptly here, and it's been a real struggle for him. But Kevin Cash has been talking about him. He has not taken him out of the lineup despite the struggles. He keeps saying, he's our guy, he's our guy. I have nothing but faith in him. He's going to turn around. And guess what? This is why Kevin Cash, no pun intended, deserves the big bucks because he has not let off the gas with that guy. He has not taken him out of the lineup despite the struggles. And I think Lau just rewarded him with a huge game two and uh, another home run in game one, like you said. Yeah, he he's the he's the MVP thus far, and again, there's only two games, but that's all we got. So over the next four <laughs> or five games, maybe somebody else will emerge. There's no doubt. We I think we have a long way to go in this series, and at the very least, what you know now, if you're looking at the odds on FanDuel and you were throwing that dart on a sweep, that's out. Five games or more in the World Series here in 2020. We'll hear from Kevin Cash next, right here on Fantasy Sports Today. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Another night of the World Series where I can tell my son to go to sleep early. So that was the good news from last night. The bad news is, is that the game... It actually got a little closer as it went on, so maybe I should slow my roll a little bit on that one. But Joe, did you ever did you ever feel after Lau hit the second home run that the Dodgers were going to win? I would ask you that. Did you did you think that there was a chance they could come back? I did not. I thought it was over at that point. I don't know. The Corey Seager home run gave me pause. <laughs> I got to be honest. Like that was the moment where I go, you know, you can't really count off these Dodgers. I mean, these bats. You know, these guys just there's so yeah. much power in that lineup, top to bottom. That was a moment that gave me pause. 
But up until then, even the the ball right before that, that Corey Seager missed and fouled straight back when I went, oh boy, yeah. he got away with one there. And after that, he then hit the next pitch out the dead center field. And uh, I, in between those pitches, I went, maybe it's just not the Dodgers. Not, oh, wait. Oh, wait, there's a Corey Seager home run. Maybe this isn't over after all. But yeah, it felt kind of like the, the same inversion of the night before, which is, you know, there's Blake yeah. Snell going out there. He got into trouble in the second inning with a couple of the walks and then got out of it. And after that, he just seemed to be on cruise control. And it's very funny. Like so far, definitively, you felt like both these games were kind of one-sided affairs. You could look at the scoreboard and say, oh, maybe a little closer. And I, and I think it's a bad job by all of us, too, not just FanDuel, because we were talking about a Rosarena, Rosarena, right? Well, who's going to step up? Is it going to be Meadows? Well, Kiermaier hit a home run, and you know Choi will be back in the lineup on uh, on Thursday or Wednesday, excuse me, and we'll see what happens there. And none of us talked about Brandon Lau, and, and we really should have because Brandon Lau was on pace kind of like Corey Seager to have a 35-110 kind of season. And I know extrapolating stats is a dangerous thing, but let's pull it down even further. Even a 30-95 season is a really good season for any of those right. kind of yeah. infielder guys with bats. So to me, that is one of those guys that it's great to see him heating up. And now all of a sudden, I think the series gets interesting because I guess the question I have to you is now that you do have a day off, does this hurt any momentum for the Rays in your opinion? No, they got Morton next game, so I think they're good. Yeah, I, I think the series is going to be very entertaining. And then, by the way, mm. once Morton goes, Joe, uh, shifts back to L.A. again, right? Like, like Then L.A., right. I think, could take game four. You know, I, I think this is going to – it's just the way that it's set up. It could just go back and forth because, again, game five, then you say, okay, Glass now, but do you really trust him after the last game? So the Rays important I do. Maybe lose it's four. a great question about trusting Glass now. I, I personally do. I think Tyler Glass now is a fantastic pitcher. And I thought no, he but was in a spot. Not in the series, I guess, is the question. Oh, sure. And, and that's, hey, look, hey, anybody against the Dodgers, right? But I think in terms of talented pitcher, Tyler Glass oh, now yeah. is right up yeah. there with these guys. You know, I just think he didn't, he was throwing 98 and he was throwing it by guys, but it's weird how he was still laboring. You know, the pitch count was high. They'd worked the pitch counts. He just seemed to be off a little bit. And for whatever reason, and then the fact that he was laboring and off a little bit, and then they let him go that extra distance. It was a bad combination of things in game one. I don't think if they had to do it over again, they would do anything differently. But here we are. Like you said, now it's a best of five series, and that's really fun. Yeah, no, and you'll get Morton twice, and I think that's what the Rays are counting on, honestly, is get get me to game seven and get Charlie Morton somehow on the mound, and we'll do what the what the Astros did in 2017. I really think that's that's their plan. All right, the World Series, let's take a look at the standouts from last night. Lau, two home runs, now three. He would be the favorite if you could get a line on him to win the MVP, or or Kershaw, but one of those two guys thus far. Very early on, obviously, but if you're looking for value, those that's where the value stands. Manny Margot, another two hits in uh, the game yesterday. He has been a great find for them. Couldn't really do much in San Diego, but he has been great with Tampa Bay. Also stole a base. Joey Wendell had the game that the, the hit that broke it open, a three uh, two run double, and then also drove in three runs in the game. Blake Snell, uh, he was okay. He had a lot of swings and misses put on guys, and and sort of worked out a lot of jams. Four and two thirds, two earned runs, nine strikeouts. Seeger homer, Taylor homered, and so did Will Smith. So they hit, they out homered the Rays, but the Rays end up winning the game, which is a rare postseason feat for sure in 2020. One of the main reasons, though, that the Rays got the win yesterday, probably the main reason, is of course Brandon Lau. Kevin Cash after the game was asked about Lau and sort of breaking out of his slump and some of the other reasons why they won the game. Brandon's really good. We got a bunch of hitters that have, you know, been slow here as of late, but it, it does take a, a little mental fortitude to be able to withstand 
putting you already put pressure on yourself and you're trying to do the toughest thing in sports and that's to hit a baseball and you're trying to do it against the best pitching in baseball whether it's you know the the postseason American League or now here the World Series um, you you, you got to be able to pretty you know be tough minded and, and Brandon is a, a lot of our guys are and you can you you feel for them when it's not coming. Uh, as easy as you'd like, uh, but you know we owe it to our guys to stick with them. Uh, and and you know, Brandon, go ahead and get hot now. Feel good about yourself. <laughs> Apparently, the pitching coach uh, of the Rays uh, is helping, and the batting pack practice coach of the Rays has helped Lau get right, which is really intriguing. That your own guys that pitch are, are sort of getting you feeling better about yourselves, but. Uh, look, having Lau hot, Joe, is without a doubt a game changer because, as you mentioned, really when it comes down to it, it's been their pitching, their relief, and a Rosarina. Those, that's been the magic potion for the Rays getting to this point. If you're telling me that Lau's going to hit a little bit in the postseason two, especially against the Dodgers' righties, I mean, I, I'd feel really good about the Rays at least pushing this the distance. No, absolutely. Look, Lau is, is a big contributor here, and he was for them all season long. And uh, I mentioned in the first segment, but I'm just going to say it again. He was hitting a buck oh seven. He had 19 strikeouts. I mean, this is as bad as it gets. Like I said, I would not have second guess for a second if Kevin Cash said, maybe we just give this guy a day, take him out here, and see what happens. But, you know, when you stick with your guys and you show confidence in them, Sometimes you get rewarded, and he should have confidence in Lau because Lau had a phenomenal season. Again, a shortened season nonetheless, but a phenomenal season no matter what you say. And I would say that now this is where you reward that, and this is where, once again, you could talk about the Rays being a team that's all about pushing buttons and stats and all of these things, but they're not just about that. It's about more than that. It's about managing the men that play on this team. And that is the thing that I just, I can't stress enough. It still matters. People think baseball managers don't matter. Ask the Astros if it matters. Ask what Dusty Baker was able to get that team and get out of that team in an 0-3 deficit. Of course it matters. It's the human touch. And Kevin Cash's confidence in Brandon Lau has been rewarded, where I think a lot of other spots, they would have gone the other direction. You would not have seen him as much as he did. And I think that's tremendous. And I think it's a lesson for all the other organizations out there, too. And and uh, look, I think it's terrific right now to see that that moment for him yesterday. And, and not just the home runs, but opposite field home runs, too, because that's how you know a guy's right, right? He's hitting the ball hard to the opposite field. That's a huge moment there for him. Yeah, also after the game, uh, Lau was asked whether or not, uh, after watching the Dodgers win in game one, that too many people jump off the Rays bandwagon and just gave the Dodgers the championship. Uh, to an extent, I don't, I don't think that anybody in our clubhouse thought this series was over. I mean, it was one game and they had a future hall of famer on the mound. You know, he, he pitched a great game and, uh, you know, we just, we had to show up and take care of business. And we, just, we came out there and played our game. And, and they did Joe. And, and I think that, look, it, it would based on the way the ALCS and the NLCS have gone with no home field advantage whatsoever. There's no way you could have predicted both series going the distance. But people should learn their lesson from watching those two series and having no home field advantage. That That's what is making this so interesting. And maybe even potentially for the future, Joe, on a neutral site, you're, you're getting these series go seven. The more games, the better it is for us, the better it is for <laughs> baseball, and the sure. better it is for everyone else. I, I see no scenario where this series does not go a minimum of six games. And I would say that the favorite is seven games here. 
I agree. I mean, I thought the favorite was seven games going into this. The, the Rays are a tough out, man. And if you didn't think they were, then you haven't been paying attention. And it's tough to understand because the Rays are not a bunch of household names. In fact, the Rays are no household names, I would even argue. I mean, honestly, the casual sports fan does not know one guy on the Rays. They probably heard of Charlie Morton, maybe in That's passing it. recently. They probably heard a little bit about this Arosa Reina kid. Maybe they read it in the paper or read it online. Not if anybody reads the paper nowadays. That's about it. So this is a collection of no-name guys all playing like a team in the true sense of baseball in what's basically become a funny tournament-style baseball where everybody's playing in one spot with no off days. And it's kind of what you see in when you go and travel baseball with your kids who are 14 and 15 years old. So it's really unique, and it's been a fun postseason. I hope it continues to seven. All right, we got Thursday night football coming up. But more importantly, we got some good games coming up this weekend, Thursday. So we'll play is the wrong team favorite coming up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. On Friday's edition of the show, Howard Bender will join me. We'll go through our picks at the Westgate Super Contest. Started off 3-0 in the early games on Sunday last week, thinking a four and one or a five and a week is coming, and then Green Bay just falls apart. And I am embarrassed to say, embarrassed to say that we took the Cowboys on Monday night. Wow, you talk about the worst pick of any pick all season long. That was the one. You cannot be more off on a pick than that one when you have a team that's about even and they lose by thirty. It just was horrible. So that's where we're going to start this week with Dallas. As we dive into is the wrong team favored in the Westgate Super Contest with all this money on the line and all this money we put up, we've taken Dallas three times in six weeks and we've lost all three times. So (laughs) I am not the expert on the Cowboys, but they are your Rams, my Cowboys here. So I'm going to let you start off here. I'm going to let you start off with this one. Well, yeah, Dallas at Washington. We got Washington minus one. And this is a massive, massive overreaction to last to seeing Monday night. Basically saying zero faith in Dalton, zero faith in the Cowboys. I got to tell you, if the Cowboys lose that game, Joe, 27-24, 30-27, 41-38, Dallas is mm-hmm. at least seven-point favorites in this game, at least. But this is basically telling you there is a 0.0% faith on Dalton, making Washington a favorite. A favorite against Dallas. So I would ask you, Joe, is the wrong team favorite in this game? Oh, this is so frustrating. And let me just tell you, you're not alone there. I had Dallas and I had Green Bay in a three-team parlay last week, and it did not work out either. So you're not alone. There was money to be made there. Unfortunately, no one did. And this is difficult because what you're seeing this week is uh, a game where The Dallas Cowboys are starting to chirp a little bit. Some off-the-record stuff happening, being leaked. We're not happy with the coaching staff. They're not coaching us up. They're not teaching us anything. They're going through the motions, all this stuff. That's not a good environment. It seems like an environment where basically everyone's eating themselves, and that is never a good thing for a football team. I don't have any faith, really, in the Washington football team. I understand why they're favored. So for the sake of the segment, I don't think the wrong team is favored. That being said, I would run as far away from this game as possible because you have no idea 
what Dallas Cowboys are going to show up. Is it going to be the Dallas Cowboys? They could go up there and, and Andy Dalton, who looks okay with this offense like he did in the fourth quarter of that Giant game, and get things done, and all of a sudden there's a big wake-up call. Is it going to be the Dallas Cowboys that continue to turn over the ball at an alarming rate, 15 turnovers already in just six weeks? That is absurd. I don't know, but the problem is, Craig, I don't feel real confident in Washington. Washington had a chance to beat the Giants last week, and they did not. They failed there. I think Ron Rivera will have his team ready. I think it's going to be tough for for, uh, Dallas to go out there on the road, but I don't think the wrong team is favored here. I really don't. I think Washington deserves to buy that single point right now because of just, frankly, the unknown and now the negativity that's starting to float around Dallas where I think this could sink really fast. Yeah, see, this is the kind of game where anyone on our network on SportsGrid or anywhere else, if I see them trying to make an educated point on who's going to win this game between Dallas and Washington, if it's on YouTube, I'm pausing you. If it's on TV, I'm changing the channel because nobody knows. Nobody Nobody knows. knows. No one has a clue on this game this week. It is a guess. Uh, I will say the wrong team is favored, and I believe it's too big of an overreaction. I do think Dallas should be favored in the game. I don't have a clue on them. I've been wrong on them three times. I don't think anybody has a beat on what Washington is going to do. They changed their quarterback two weeks ago. It is a hard pass for me on this game for sure. Let's move on. If they were one, if, one, 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 wait, 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 one, one quick thing, one quick thing. If it was, let's say, Dallas by three, what would be your reaction to this game? I would take Dallas. I'd feel good about it. <laughs> okay. I think Dallas is going to win this game. I do. Okay. I no, Dallas I'm just, just curious. I, got, I was which just curious if you had to more... take Washington. Right, right. For anybody listening, just it's the opposite. Uh, I'm a fade opposite. on the Cowboys. I'm a, and, and you know what? I'm a fade of my own idiocy, too, because I go into the season and I say, fade the Cowboys, take the under. They'll go under every year. Take them under. Right. Here they are. They're right. under again. They don't, they're National not covering team. the spread. And then I you write the in. narrative so well, and then you ignore it. You need to write yourself a post-it note. It's my, this, this is why I want to move on. It's my own fault. I have no one to blame okay. but myself. Right. Okay, right. so right. now here's the other team that I was very bullish on before the start of the season, and I felt very wrong again, and now they're suckering me back in. 1 o'clock Eastern, we got the Detroit Lions at the Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons are minus 2.5. The world is going to bet <laughs> Detroit. The world is going to feel like the Falcons are not good. Why are they two and a half point favorites? This can't be right. They won one game. They don't deserve it. So, Joe, is the wrong team favorite in this game? Detroit versus Atlanta. Atlanta laying two and a half. This is not going to three. If anything, it's going to go back the other way. But at the at the Super Contest, you got your two and a half. I think the wrong team is favored here. Uh, I mean, the Atlanta Falcons are dreadful. And... Even last week, they were not all that great, except for the fact that Kirk Cousins basically handed them the game in the first half, too, with the turnovers and the interceptions. And I think with a healthy Kenny Galladay, it's a very different Detroit Lions team than you saw the first couple weeks of the season. As you in the last couple weeks of the season. And even against New Orleans, yes, they lost, but New Orleans is a far superior team than them. And I think you really like what you saw last week, even though they should have beat Jacksonville handily. You got to go out there and handle your business. I also like the amount of touches DeAndre Swift is getting coming out, and I think that is going to be a problem for Atlanta because typically they do not fare well with running backs and catch the ball in the backfield, and Swift has been able to do that this year after that bad first game. So for me, I think the wrong team is favored here, and I think this uh, this like turnaround of the Atlanta Falcons that we got last year that narrative is not going to write itself twice. I'm sorry, they're not going to go all of a sudden on this you know six and two run like they went last year. I just don't think they're a good football team. Yeah, I think the right team is favored. I think the line is a little high. I think you, I think the reason why is because this is the circled game for Detroit. This is it. Because as little faith mm-hmm. as anybody could possibly have in them, they have pulled everyone back in into believing 
that there is a chance that they could be okay this year. And I'm not talking about 11 wins okay. I'm, I'm strictly talking about 8-8. Eight and eight. That, That's what I'm getting at here. Going over their win total, which was 7, uh, or 7.5, depending on where you had it at the beginning of the year, this is the circled game. If they win this game, you can start to feel like you have a shot at that. You can start mm-hmm. to feel like the first game of the season that they blew is in the rearview mirror. They finally closed out a team last week. So I'm with you in the confidence, but I do think you have to – Go back to making Atlanta the favorite. You can't believe anything in Detroit unless they do it this week. And if they lose this week, I am right back where I was a couple of weeks ago in understanding it was a farce, thinking that they could possibly be better. But they have you feeling good again. I understand that based on what we've seen coming off the bye and last week against, by the way, maybe the worst team moving forward in the NFL in Jacksonville. I think there's a chance of that. Okay, Sunday, 1 o'clock Eastern again. Let's take a look at the Steelers and Tennessee Titans. And the Titans are getting points at home going into the weekend. The Steelers are coming off a blowout win over Cleveland. You can make the argument Steelers are the best team in the NFL through six weeks. Absolutely can. Steelers are minus one and a half. Wrong team favored here, yes or no? Uh, no. I, I think the right team is favored, but it is very close here. And losing Devin Bush is huge, not just because of uh, what he brings to the team, but also he's the signal caller on the defense. So don't lose sight of that. Like that That's a big deal when the defense loses its signal caller. And they're going to have to make some adjustments. Though. Somebody else has to pick up the slack there in terms of leadership on that defense and what's going on and reacting to what the offense is doing. And I don't think the Pittsburgh Steelers have faced an offense with a quarterback quite as mobile, combination with a running back quite as big and strong with a, a, a red zone threat like A.J. Brown. So I think the Titans are going to give them all they can handle, and this is why the line is so damn close. So this is going to be a fun football game, and I think a higher scoring game than people realize. I like the over in this game. Personally, talked about it on my podcast yesterday about this game, and it just feels like an over is more apt to happen, especially with Bush being out, especially because Pittsburgh is going to go on the road here on this one. And uh, we'll see what happens. But to me, I think the right team is favored. I think you have to give respect to what the Pittsburgh Steelers have done defensively this year. Yeah, I agree. You got, you got to make the Steelers favored in this game. And, and yeah, that's my early lean is on Pittsburgh also this week too. They're just so good against the spread. It's like, it feels right to just take them and you feel really confident in taking them. Uh, going into the week. So uh, they played some lesser opponents right. this year, though. They really have. I mean, they've played sure, the Giants. That, that's true, Cleveland but, was banged up when they played them. This is a real, good this is a real test. Bad opponent. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I, all I know is this is going to be a real test for them. This game should be oh, a real yeah, test. And look, this could be a playoff game preview, too. I mean, th- this is a fun pairing. You got the offense of the Titans against the defense uh, of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Whoever wins that matchup is going to win this football game. All right, let's close it out with another. This is a tough one, too, for me. Uh, San Francisco at New England. San Francisco's up. They're down. They're up. They're down. New England, you really don't know what to make of them. Uh, I'll start off here. Uh, I do think the right team is favored. I think that you have to give New England the benefit of the doubt, playing at home, even though home field doesn't mean very much. San Francisco's still banged up. Their best defensive player out. Their best running back out. Uh, Look, a, a tale of two games last week. 49ers look great. Week before, 49ers look horrible. New England, not looking particularly good either. But but you you have to make New England a favorite. And you, when you close your eyes and you think of this game, what do you picture, right? You picture 17-17, two minutes left. New England has the ball. Do they go down the field and kick the field goal to win? Or do they not? And then San Francisco comes back and kicks the field goal to win. So simply put for me, I'm not sure which side I'm on, but I do think the right team is favored here. you got to make New England a very slight favorite. Or everyone would take 49 it sounds exactly like what I just echoed yesterday, which was this game has all the earmarks of 10-7 at the half 
<laughs> we're just kind of slogging our way through, and then we're going to figure out the second half, whatever way the ball bounces. That's how this one's going to go. If Raheem Mostert was healthy for this game, I might feel differently, but I think the right team is favored. Uh, I think New England losing two games in a row at home is a tough sell for me personally, even with all the problems they have, and they have a fair amount. I think it will bounce back. I think more practice time this week for Cam Newton will be huge. Things just seem completely out of sync for them, and I think they know, and I think they realize where they're at right now, and they have to win this game. This is a must-win here. Not that it's not a must-win for San Fran, but really for New England right now with the way the Dolphins are playing and with the way the, the Bills have lost two in a row. This is an opportunity, and I think they recognize that, and I think they'll take advantage of it, but I do think the right team is favored. Yeah, I'm not sure that New England will win because, again, you look at last week and you say all those field goals for Denver, what if two of them are converted for touchdowns? The game is not even close. But I do think you got to make the Patriots the home favorite for sure. We'll be back with Andrew Erickson next on Fantasy Sports Today. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back, everybody, to Fantasy Sports Today right here on SportsGrid. And it's Thursday, and you know what that means. It's time for a little past, present, and future with our best friend from Pro Football Focus, the one, the only, Andrew Erickson. Andrew, welcome back, my friend. I'm so glad every week you take your time out of your busy schedule to sit and chat with us. And it certainly was an eventful week six, so let's just dive into it. And let's talk about the Le'Veon Bell, Clyde Edwards, Alaire stuff. Because last week when I had you on, we didn't talk about it because at the time, Bell hadn't signed anywhere. Well, now he has, but... Clyde Edwards-Alaire just threw down arguably one of his best games of the season, if not the best, and had the most rushing attempts ever in the Andy Reid offense. So I guess here's the question. Although he's only got one touchdown on the year, he's been pretty good at Clyde Edwards-Alaire in terms of PPR running back points. How does Le'Veon Bell factor into this backfield and what cost to CEH going forward in your opinion? Yeah, I think that it just limits his ceiling. I think that you can't expect him to deliver on the top five running back ceiling. And again, we've kind of seen that he's kind of teetered on that again. If he had scored more touchdowns, he would have paid off where you drafted him. But that's the thing. I mean, Bell is going to be involved and they're not afraid to get other running backs in the game. And I mean, to me, when they say that they gave him, you know, a career high in touches of an Andy Reid offense, then, you know, they probably did that because they know they, oh, we just got this other running back that we can use. So, so like, let's drive this guy into the ground. Like, why wouldn't you? That'd be, that just makes so much sense to me it doesn't seem like shocking that they were going to run him to the ground i thought that he was in a really good spot in that matchup against the bills it's like why why would they like try to save him when oh we have reinforcements coming along mm -hmm. let's use him right now and i think i mean he's still going to be a serviceable running back i mean bell is probably the one that you're really not so sure what his role is going to be in terms of can i use this guy in fantasy i mean he's going to be harder for fantasy owners to really figure out and i was trying to preach to sell him high just based on hey spike in value right. based on zero playing like that's always usually a good sign when a player doesn't actually do anything football related and actually gains value <laughs> you usually want to just trade those types of players so for me i think edwards Lair is at least an rb2 moving forward again he still plays on a good offense but i mean the the, the top five ceiling is, is definitely capped all right so let's shift a little bit and continue to push on about Le'Veon bell a little bit because Clyde Edwards-Alaire hasn't been great necessarily around the goal line. Is there an opportunity here in standard leagues for Le'Veon Bell to be a goal line back at this point in his career? Or 
do you think it's just a matter of he's just there to differentiate a little bit? He's just there to kind of, you know, give Clyde Edwards Lair a rest and, like you said, eat into the ceiling a little bit of what he could do week to week. Do you think Bell has any value at all as a starter going forward? I mean, depending on the way that you look at the running back position, again, it's pretty hard to find running backs that are useful on a <laughs> just week-to-week one. basis. I just want to find one running back, Andrew. That's all. I just got to find one guy to stay healthy for entire season. Good luck with that, everybody. But the way that it worked last year, again, super high-powered offense. Mm-hmm. Ask anybody who had a Chiefs running back last year. It was not fun. You know, whether right. it was McCoy or Daryl Williams or trying to figure out, you know, what it was a mess. So it was really hard to kind of figure out what to do with the running backs. Again, we're going to probably see a little bit more of what Le'Veon Bell's going to do. And I mean, considering the struggles with Clyde edwards helaire have been around the goal line, it would make sense to me that, you know, Le'Veon Bell being entered into that role would make a lot of sense. But until we see it, it's really hard to just go in. I mean, I wouldn't start Le'Veon Bell this week. I don't think you can. You really need to see how it plays out because he could play, you know, 10 snaps and then you just wasted mm-hmm. a roster spot. So I think that going forward, that could definitely be his role. But for now, it's really more of a wait and see. All right, let's live in the past for a little while longer, and let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys, who it was not a good showing on Monday night. And I think it's very frightening right now because you're looking at the prospect of a lot of fantasy pieces. We're talking about three fantasy wide receivers, a running back, and a tight end, all of which could be headed south in terms of value. Now, I know it's dangerous some kinds to you know overrate one single performance or one single game. But Andy Dalton looked absolutely dreadful against the Cardinals on Monday night. Are you holding out any hope this week in Washington that he could turn that around? Because right now, as bad as the defense is, we always said, oh, it's okay. They'll always score points. Andy Dalton isn't that bad. Were we wrong about that? Is Andy Dalton really that bad? And is this going to be the death of some really useful fantasy pieces the rest of the season? I'm going to say no, because the thing that I've always looked at is, you know, we've seen bad quarterbacks, you know, put up fantasy numbers before like Bortles, like it happens, True. like this stuff happens. And I think that everything is kind of being highlighted a little bit too much when it comes to Andy Dalton. And remember you know, the Cowboys again for, it seems like the fifth game in a row or sixth game in a row, they just kept fumbling the ball in the right. first quarter. So how is Andy Dalton supposed to get in any type of groove where, okay, now we're already down 14, nothing like that. Wasn't any type of the goal. Like our defense is already getting shredded. Kyler Murray completed like nine passes and, and they lost the game. These called, like, they got blown years. out. I mean, yeah. he played nine passes and they got blown out. But you know what? I think you're right to a certain extent. Yes. I mean, you know, when you have 15 turnovers already to start the year and you had 17 all of last year, things are not going to be good. But even when Andy Dalton did have the ball, I mean, he was missing wide receivers. He was throwing long sometimes. He was throwing to other teams. <laughs> you know, I mean, Buda Baker played out of his mind, but still, I mean, at a certain point, it is the Cardinals defense. This is one of the most prolific defenses either. And that definitely worried me. So in your opinion, is there anybody to downgrade at all? So if you feel okay about them collectively, is it a Dalton Schultz who kind of fades away? Or is it uh, is it one of the wide receivers? Or you think everybody will just figure it out here with a little bit more time together? Well, I think Schultz is probably the one that I would probably fade in the least. I mean, he didn't really do much in his last game. And, and Andy Dalton didn't really target him in the Giants game when he first came in. I think that we had talked about that. So mm-hmm. Schultz, I'm kind of like out, especially from like a talent standpoint, you know, when you have a worse situation, usually the best talent kind of rises to the to right. the top and Schultz is a backup. So, I mean, for him to, you know, the mm-hmm. Dak Prescott tight end connection was really why he was appealing. So 
out on Dalton Schultz. I mean, Lamb has always been, I mean, Lamb has looked like an absolute stud. So I really don't see how you can downgrade him again, just because you have less touchdown opportunities. I get that. But out of the slot, the guy's going to continue to eat. I think Amari Cooper takes a really big hit. I mean, he's always been super volatile in his touchdown production. And remember, he hasn't actually ever really been good without Dak. Remember, he was with the Raiders and he was super up and down. And mm-hmm. we saw him this game. He was able to put up garbage time, but he's like super reliant on Dak Prescott. I think much more than a Michael Gallup, where Gallup actually saw Gallup saw four end zone targets and actually led the team in air yards in the last game they played. So mm-hmm. Michael Gallup's one that people are people are dropping. And he's someone that if someone drops, I'm willing to pick up because I think that the air yards are there. The end zone targets are there. And if Dallas needs to make a trade, that's going to be Michael Gallup that they're going to move. Mm, they're going to move. That's him interesting because you look at the way that they draft. They didn't mean sure. to draft. Oh, it makes it, sense. Yeah. They didn't mean to draft lamb. I mean, lamb kind of fell in their laps. Like, Oh, sick. Like we can get this stud mm-hmm. receiver. Like let's get him. So right. I could see them, you know, trading Gallup for a cornerback, like some type of defensive player, just anything to help that defense, especially because he is a player that could potentially wants to get paid somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they don't really need more wide receivers. I mean, Cedric Wilson has kind of flashed. So yeah. I think that, uh, yeah, that's kind of my take. I don't know. Unless they're trading for Ray Lewis. I don't think anything could help that defense to be honest with you. All right. One more thing in the past, you know, this is really in the past about a year ago, Ryan Tannehill took over a quarterback. Let's not forget. He was basically backing up Marcus Mariota heading into last year. And now we're sitting here and we're watching Ryan Tannehill run this offense and the Tennessee Titans are scoring a ton of points. Is there a more unlikely story than Ryan Tannehill becoming what he's become in the last calendar year? Because frankly, I mean, this is an exciting fantasy offense. And last year, I don't think people were very excited about the Titans, but AJ Brown's been fantastic. Derrick Henry continues to just pound on people. He's leading the league in rushing yet again after a huge game. But really, Ryan Tannehill, I feel like, is the story. And what an incredible turnaround it's been. Yeah, I remember looking at Tannehill in Miami and seeing splits for his games when I was, you know, looking at him as like a streamer, I remember. And I remember seeing like his home home road splits were really, really good and seeing, wow, this guy like throws like three touchdowns every single game that he's at home. And I wish I had kind of taken more, you know, looked at that more in detail and realized, hey, this player has shown us an actual ceiling of like a legitimate fantasy quarterback. And it was just those down games you know, whether Adam Gase related or not, those down games were an inconsistent play was really what kind of held him back from us kind of really believing in in him. But now that he's kind of basically put it all together in this perfect system that works for him. I mean, he's a must start quarterback every single week. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's he definitely is. I mean, he's a low end QB one, if not a middle QB one right now, depending on the scoring. Uh, all right, let's do a little present here. Let's talk about Chase Claypool and the wide receivers for the Steelers. Now, Claypool's really emerged the last couple weeks. People are really souring on Juju. I think it's a little early to do that. What do you think? Do you think Claypool's really gone past everybody here, or do you think that things kind of go back and revert a little bit? Deontay Johnson's going to play this week, too, it looks like. So do you think this Chase Claypool run is getting a little too much run out there right now, or should you be panicked about Juju? This is the answer that this is the question everybody wants answered. Well, so you got to answer it now because you're the smartest guy in show business. So go ahead and answer it for me. All right. So, so here's the take. So basically Juju Smith-Schuster, I don't think it's really necessarily him. That's the problem. It's just the way that the offense is working. He's running out of the slot and he's just not seeing any air yards. So his air yard total is air yards per target is the same as Larry Fitzgerald. So imagine Larry Fitzgerald running around out there, someone you don't want to play in fantasy football. So that's that's exactly what they're using Juju in that type of role. So he's not seeing down the field targets. He's not getting those. 
And when it comes to Claypool, you know, you can't ignore the fact that he's had two amazing games without Deontay Johnson in the lineup. Like that is just so concrete evidence right. of, hey, what what's changed? This but is I guess doesn't matter, right? Because people ask me the same question and they said, who who is going to get downgraded in this offense now? And my immediate answer was Ebron. Like, I think Ebron becomes a, a non-factor simply because of what Claypool can do in the red zone and his ability and the body type and all the things he offers you in terms of, you know, red zone upside. Whereas I think that's the big loser. But I think there's enough. It's going to be tough on a weekly basis to figure out which guy it is. But I feel like there's enough to go around here, don't you? I mean, yeah, I think that there is probably enough to go around. But if you're looking, if you have Chase Claypool, like this is, you know, dictionary like look it up sell high right now like that's exactly okay. what you should do and, and and honestly that might be the best move just in terms of headache I, I can get i mean claypool just can't keep up this type of production he's only seeing around four targets per game and, and right. you have clear evidence of a change of a player in the in the lineup and then someone else's production increasing so for me again you know you won't always be right with these types of maneuvers but you know nine times out of ten if it's presented like this usually the the best approach is to sell high all right, let's do a little future here with you real quick because Atlanta is going to take on Detroit and Detroit this week. And Atlanta certainly did finally win their game. They got rid of Quinn. And, of course, that's always the cure-all for everything, at least for a week. Just ask the Houston Texans. But let's uh, let's take a little closer look here with these guys, too. Do you think that Atlanta is for real now kind of going forward? Are they going to give us another version of what they did last year where they go on a run and just flat out outscore people kind of like what they did last year? I don't think so. I mean, you can only run on that emotional high for so long when you're the high of not having Dan Quinn in the locker room. What a high. Well, the just the fact of the matter that when you have a lead, just the fact that we don't I I mean, you can't have any confidence that, oh, we have the lead like we're going to win the game. I mean, just having Dan Quinn there, you know, how could you ever feel great? I mean, you look at all the Falcons game they lost this season. We're all from that all having leads, huge leads. Mm -hmm. And then they lost those games. So again, you can look at it and say, oh, well, there's a bunch of games that should have won. They're a much better, you know, one in five team than what their record would show. But I mean, their defense isn't any good. I mean, Matt Ryan is is older and I just don't think they have enough dynamic pieces just overall to really, you know, be a legitimate threat. But as long as Matt Ryan is Julio, you can still play him in fantasy. Well, I can't tell you how excited I am to watch DeAndre Swift play against the Falcons this week. I am I am looking forward to that and his FanDuel price of 6100 Spoiler alert, he's going to be in a lot of lineups. I just, I don't know, man, just something about those Atlanta Falcons I always just love to target against. Uh, and, and look, Detroit did a good job. They they won a game they're supposed to win coming out of the bye. Kenny Galladay looked good, too. So this should be fun because if Atlanta beats Detroit, I can hear all the stuff in Detroit. Everything's falling apart again and all these things. That one-week win doesn't last very long, my friend. It does not. By the way, rest of season, who would you rather have, DeAndre Swift or Jonathan Taylor? Ten seconds, go. Oh, Jonathan Taylor, no doubt. Not even close. All right. I'm just just checking. I'm going to ask this question again in four weeks. We'll see if it's the same answer. So we're going to hit a break here. We come back. We're going to play a little game. You know, our favorite game, a little fantasy trivia with Andrew Erickson, because he's a good sport and he's going to stick around. And I just like having him on the show. So make sure you follow him on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore. And when we come back, we'll just see how smart boy wonder really is. So don't go anywhere. More fantasy sports today right here on Sports Grid. We'll be right back after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 
All right, welcome back, everybody, to Fantasy Sports Today. It's trivia time, but before we do that, it was a rough week for our Pats. I mean, we're here to commiserate for at least a little while longer together. I did not like what I saw. I keep saying the time has come, Andrew, for the Patriots to get some playmakers on offense. I mean, when are we going to catch up to modern-day NFL? Is one thing we can out-execute everybody with Tom Brady? I don't feel like that's the case anymore. Isn't it time to get over ourselves and maybe draft or trade or sign some guys who can actually make some plays at wide receiver running back? What do you think? I mean, they could just use a tight end, honestly. Get somebody, get get a Chris Herndon, get a David Njoku, some talented guys that have flashed. Just, I mean, I don't know. Jay Howard. On on a bump, on a tour to Achilles. Let's go. I think they'll win this week against San Fran because I don't think they're going to lose two games in a row at home. But I'll tell you, man, you don't have playmakers. It's a bad thing. But speaking of playmakers, Derrick Henry's on the verge of leading the league and rushing again. He's leading right now through six weeks. So here's the question. Who's the last guy in the last 20 years to lead the league in rushing back-to-back seasons? Here are the names for you. I'll give you multiple choice. Was it A, Adrian Peterson, B, LaDainian Tomlinson, or C, Sean Alexander? Who is the last guy to go back-to-back rushing title? I'm going to go with... B, LaDainian and Tomlinson. Easier said than uh, done. But yes, <laughs> that is correct. It is LaDainian Tomlinson. You are right. Adrian Peterson had a bunch. You know the guy before him? There's only two guys to do it in the last 20 years, by the way. Fun fact. You want to take a stab at who the last guy was? I'll give you a hint. It was 1999 and 2000. It's the last time we already had that two times in the last 20 years. He yeah. played for the Colts with Peyton Manning, Edron James. Oh, okay. How about that? A guy who's... Kind of underrated when you think about it. When you go back and look at the stats, Edgerton was pretty good. Sean Alexander had uh, that one year, obviously, was brilliant, won the MVP. And Adrian Peterson had a bunch of really good years, but never back-to-back. So you think Derrick Henry can do it this year? Go back-to-back again? I do. We'll see with that offensive line. They got some injuries, so. They do. They do. But at the same time, does it matter in the fourth quarter? I mean, it is a – you could set your watch to fourth quarter Derrick Henry – Watching that man just run over people. Nobody wants to be anywhere near him. But you should be near Andrew Erickson. Go check out his work on Pro Football Focus at PFF.com. And, of course, go check him out on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore. Andrew, thank you, as always, for your time. We come back hour two. More fantasy and reality. More fantasy football. More everything. Stay on the grid with us right here at Sports Grid. We'll be right back with more fantasy sports today right after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 